Hello there, duckies. It's Chappie, your British butler. It's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, episode 111. That's 111. And we're going to have a superstitions uh, special today. Uh, English superstitions, British superstitions, uh, including half Nelson, which is a cricketing term. We'll have more of the eccentric uh, cricketing terminology, rules and knowledge uh, coming along the way as well. But here we are. We're right into the center of August now. Late summer, uh, mist and mellow fruitfulness today. But you know, we're still in one of the smoggiest cities in the entire world. Denver is one of the smoggiest polluted cities in the entire world today. Uh, We're having smoke from all the wildfires blowing in. Uh, I mean, you could send smoke signals, but you would never see them, you know. So my, uh, my, my form of messaging at the moment is still... Uh, attaching a wax-sealed uh, note to a hawk's leg. Uh, because, you know, the smoke signals aren't working. Uh, so the hawk, Harry the hawk, is uh, is serving us marvellously during these conditions here. You know, the, the children don't know how lucky they have it. The Gen Zs uh, and, the, uh, and the millennials don't know how easy they have it. Because, I mean, back in the day when we had square wheels, when the earth was flat, and we used to send our emails by h mail by hawk mail birds of prey took our messages uh the war was won using pigeons basically sending messages across the front line that's how it used to be that's how the greatest generation the boomers the gen x's such as myself that's basically what we had in terms of communication style uh nothing such as a podcast i mean you know podcasts back in the day were two cans on a piece of string I mean, that's how we used to uh, communicate. And we used to talk. We didn't text. You know, we used to go out and talk. And uh, we didn't have any sort of virtual communication. Uh, unless it was through a, a misty window in the, uh, in the midst of autumn. So, it's Chappie. I'm your butler. And I'm in the midst of packing up Chappie Towers at the moment. So, I'm finding all sorts of things. I'm actually uh, caked in dust at the moment. I could probably uh, get a a, a farmer's plow through the dust on this desk that I'm looking at. I cleared up my box of wires today. Have you ever had a box of wires and you have to try to decide which slot goes in where? That'd be often a problem for many people in many areas of their lives, but this has been a little bit of an issue today. So it took me five minutes to find the wire, to plug into this microphone, to uh, get this whole podcast up and running again and uh, finally I did find it so luckily you know you haven't got me remote you know I wouldn't have to phone in the podcast or anything along those lines I did find the wire but it's amazing how many wires we have and so how how so how many redundant wires that we have and that's the key I mean I probably threw 80% of the wires away but they don't work anymore you know the old plug that goes in you know we used to go into the uh, iPhone or the iPad. They just don't work anymore. So uh, they can be definitely thrown out. <clears throat> so if I'm a little bit croaky, it's because I have my throat caked in, uh, in dust. I need to get uh, Mr. Sheen. My grandmother Joyce would be very, very upset at the moment uh, at my lack of dusting skills. I mean, I guess I could, it could be a sort of workout. Whilst I'm podcasting, I could dust at the same time. Uh, I mean, that would be... Uh, Get it, getting a little bit of a robot exercise in. I know many people podcast while standing up. 
Uh, I actually like to podcast in a recline position if possible uh, while sipping a pina colada. That's my uh, that's definitely my uh, choice of uh, beverage whilst uh, uh, whilst conducting the podcast. And, and you could probably tell that more than anything else. So rousey, rile yourself up, get out of bed, shake off the cobwebs, and if any, good into dust as well, and uh, get on with your day. I, I'm here to prompt you, to coerce you, to persuade you. I am, I am the butler persuasion element in your life. And um, I'm going to perform my Manvalu duties over the course of the next hour. So thank you very much for joining me. And let's submerge ourselves into Saturday. So yesterday's show, we talked about foot rot, my fear of catching... Uh, foot and hoof disease basically uh, i talked about the triple f threat to help one sleep pocket blowouts and rain definitely did stop play uh also we talked about why would you run with a knee brace and all those posers out there who are running along no shirts but with sort of ekg um little probes attached to their body uh yeah i know poses definitely so have you ever been able to never turn off the subtitles dregs of tea spilling uh, what I found in some of the boxes in my uh, in my uh, basement here, uh, the viral frozen honey craze. I mean, these are things that may or may not be uh, happening on the podcast today. I don't I don't like to be constrained with rules and a playing order, a set order, anything along those lines. So you may be lucky. It's like a lucky dip. It's like putting in your hand into a into a tombola or maybe a top hat and pulling out all sorts of surprises. That's what the essence of this podcast uh, also a little book that i found that i'm now think could be my mantra for uh, for life here uh, more uh, more situations where i've come across bikers and how they sort of irritate me we're having more explanations on cricket the terminology the knowledge uh, the eccentricity of it as i said we're having a superstition special some of the uh, top english superstitions uh, that uh, that may may occur northern accents will sound southern in 50 years apparently so there'll be no e-bag or mlad and anything along those lines uh, chocolate bunnies we never talked about that yesterday maybe we will to a day and also ashton and uh, mila don't bathe their children uh, how can you cope on less than three hours sleep well i gave you the solution yesterday um, English tea plantations, bumper crop and heat wave to rival Kenya and India. That's great because I've had about three cups of tea this morning. Uh, that's, uh, that's definitely an essential. Uh, also, uh, Queen Elizabeth's Royal Dinner Party protocols. Uh, Australian kayaker uses an Olympic condom to fix her damaged kayak. We'll be uh, looking at that as well. There's a, a little bit more Trump or trombone coming along the way uh, as well, where we look at some of the most heinous headlines of the uh, week and equate them to a, a raspy sort of trombone or a sort of real stenchy sort of trump. Uh, that's uh, that's Trump or trombone. And um, we have an eccentric uh, British prime minister as well uh, coming along the way on the podcast today. So as you sail in uh, to your Saturday, as you set sail, as you... Uh, pull up the anchor and decide to get on with your weekend here. I want to be the soundtrack. You can listen to the audio. You can listen to the musical edition on Spotify as well. Well, I'll throw in lots of delicious, delightful tunes. Uh, but uh, that is that. Chappie, your British butler, keep calm and cauliflower cheese on your... Uh, I was going to say your wireless, but I... 
guess you can't call it the wireless anymore. Uh, but wherever you like to listen to it. And, and, and yesterday I did see a moth. Uh, it was uh, cocooned and it transformed into a butterfly. And as it, as it flapped its wings for the first time, I heard the dulcet tones of keep calm and cauliflower cheese. That's the butterfly effect for you. So I did discover a new Olympic sport the other day. So I have one of my lounges at Chappie Towers cordoned off so you don't have dogs wagging their tails and generally causing mischief in the lounge, especially carpet. I mean, uh, carpet to me uh, is the devil. It's Beelzebub. It's the Beelzebub of thread, uh, it, it, the carpet. I mean, I'm not a huge fan. So I have it blocked off. But uh, lifting lots of heavy boxes of books photographs, old clothes, old shoes that probably went, you know, who wears winkle pickers anymore? You know, I don't think the, I think the winkle pickers went out of fashion probably in the 60s, but some uh, fairly dodgy customers were wearing them uh, right into the 80s. So they're the little pointed toe things that your toes never fit into. And, uh, and then, you know, in the end, your toes become sort of misshaped. And I'm sure it's not good for the whole ingrown toenail situation. But anyway, boxes of shoes. So what I've been finding, I, I, I'm, it's almost like Olympic hurdling. So I uh, have a heavy box pressed against my uh, broad barrel chest. And I start jogging or trotting. More like a trot, I think. Certainly not a canter. And, uh, and uh, man, many, million, uh, many million furlongs away from a gallop. Uh, and so I'm trotting along with the box. And there's a little barrier that I said I have it blocked off. It's almost like a little hurdle. And I'm jumping over the, uh, the hurdle into the lounge with a big heavy box. Now, what sort of workout is that? I mean, if Mr. Motivator ever comes back, uh, Rosemary Conley, any of these people who do uh, exercise for a living, Joe Wicks, you know, Joe Wicks in the UK, during lockdown, he is cooking healthy and doing training videos. This could be a new type of workout, a new Olympic sport where you're actually jumping over a hurdle, lifting heavy boxes of stuff you shouldn't be taking to your new house. That is the Olympic sport that I recommend that you do. And I think it's a great workout, lower and upper body workout, carrying this dusty box, going over the hurdle, hopping over the hurdle, and then moving back down to the cellar and trying once again to, uh, to win the gold medal, basically, um, and uh, stack up your boxes and uh, do a good job when it comes to both the upper and lower body workout. The trouble is, uh, as with any great thoroughbred, if you do catch your hoof in the barrier, the whole show could come tumbling down. So we have a superstition edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. It's a Nelson edition. It's 111. And... Uh, so the term Nelson is a piece of cricket slang terminology and superstition. The name applied to a team of individual scores of 111 or multiple thereof, known as double Nelson, triple Nelson, etc. It's thought to refer to a wicket. Various sources ascribe it to referring to Nelson's three major naval victories, one, one, and one, or incorrectly to one eye, one arm, one leg. Nelson never lost a leg, although he did lose an eye and an arm. Long-time cricket historian and scorer Bill Frendel from Test Match Special once referred it to online as one eye, one arm, and one etc. 
implying that Nelson allegedly a third lost body part was something else. However, this is very mythical. In the 1939 film of Goodbye Mr. Chips, the schoolboy refers to Nelson in these terms, one arm, one eye, and one destiny. And umpire, uh, cricket umpire David Shepard, during a radio interview to mark his retirement, explained one arm, one eye, and one lump of sugar. It is thought that by the superstitions that bad things happen on that score. Although uh, investigation by the magazine The Cricketer in the 1990s found that wickets are no more likely to fall on the score of 111 or 222333 than the score that most wickets fall on, which is naught, i.e. a duck. It may be considered un- unlucky because the number resembles a wicket without the bales. A batsman is out if the bales are knocked over and off their wicket. The New Zealand cricket team, Nelson, uh, played first-class cricket from 1974 to 1891. In both their first and last first-class innings, they were dismissed for 1-1-1. And then David Shepard, the umpire, made popular long-standing practice of raising a leg or all legs from the ground on Nelson in effect to avoid ill fate. And when crowds notice this, they would cheer his leg raising. And he also often hop into the air. The equivalent superstitious number in Australian cricket is 87. That's the doubles number, devil's number. Many, including commentators and journalists, think 87 is considered unlucky because it's 13 shy of 100. An alternate uh, thought is it came to be known as the devil's number after Ian Johnson was dismissed for 87 while playing grade cricket. And Keith Miller commented, that's funny, I once saw Bradman dismiss for 87. It turned out that Don Bradman was actually dismissed for 89 and the scorers hadn't updated the last two runs. Okay, I'm standing now and live on the podcast. I'm going to jump both feet in the air and uh, get my feet off the ground to avoid the fate of Nelson. Well, there we go. And one ball for luck. There we go. Yeehaw. What shall we do with a drunken sailor? The talking of superstitions. This morning, when I was walking the hounds around Jappy Towers, uh, across the beautifully manicured and coiffured grass, I, um, I saw 20 cyclists. Uh, you know, I'm going to crack that. It was uh, actually 20 dicks on bikes, and they were bearded dicks. Now, basically, have you ever seen... I mean, this could be a superstition itself. Have you ever seen... And I counted them. I notched one off after another. I had a, had a piece of wood and my Swiss Army knife, and I was notching a, 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 you know, each bearded cyclist who went by. I notched a little, a little nick into my wood here. And there were 20 of them, and all of them were bearded. I don't think there are any bearded ladies in there, but they're all bearded cyclists. And it's my usual problem. Why can they not go onto the grass? I mean, this is manicured grass. They're not like, uh, they're not cycling through weeds or scrub or anything like that. But me, you know, my aging border collie and my frisky little corgi with short legs, and my dear short legs have to go through the grass. And they expect it. it. I mean, it's not even walking or, you know, cycling etiquette that you have to move to one side. I mean, I talked about this last year on the podcast. But surely it's truly unlucky to see 20 bearded cyclists, all of them asses, all of them who will not shift over to one side. The problem is, this morning... I mean, I might have been a little bit more bristling this morning if I hadn't have spelt the dregs of tea um, 
across my uh, crotch, basically. So I had a, a cup of tea. I always walk with a cup of tea. You know, not fine china, you know, on a sauce or anything. I mean, not, not even my superb balance could manage that. Uh, but no, I had a cup of tea. I finished it. And, and I didn't realize there was a tea bag right at the end. So you had a so- soaking wet tea bag uh, along with the dregs of the tea. And it started leaking out of my pocket. Now, of course, it didn't go down the side of my leg or something. That's not quite so embarrassing, but it went right across my crotch. So, you know, I had the situation where I had, uh, you know, dripping tea bag all over my crotch. And I had 20 bearded assholes uh, cycling past me. You know, and I was going to talk about cyclists anyway. But when I saw 20 this morning, I thought, well, this is perfect. I mean, I know it's meant to be a lamentation of swans, but it was a lamentation of bearded dicks on bikes. That's that was my that was my uh, sufferance this morning. Um, but yeah, but you know, I was so embarrassed with the tea dripping dripping all over myself that every cyclist, you know, oh yes, 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 wet grass, yeah, yeah, wet grass across the crotch, yeah, no, 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 yeah, no, no, nothing, nothing more sinister or messy. It was just draping wet grass across the crotch, where really it was. It could have been a split tea bag. It could have been that embarrassing. Um, but uh, but there we go. I, I did feel like uh, Rocky. I felt like a bout. I felt like it was the eye of the tiger for a second there. And I was going to put these uh, bearded cyclists in their place and tell them to move over to the grass whilst I took the path, being a pedestrian. But because of the, because of the soggy tea bag, the tea dregs, and the and the uh, rather large uh, stain across the crotch, I uh, I shrivelled back into my hole, and uh, knowingly said, "Wet grass." So our little superstition special. We have some wonderfully weird British superstitions. Ever wondered why your British friends won't walk under a ladder or step on pavement cracks? There are so many British superstitions that may seem strange to people new to the culture but they're steeped in history and have wondrously weird origins. So, our number one, getting pooed on by a bird. Although it may seem unlucky, getting pooed on by a bird in Britain has seemed good luck. Good news for those studying at BCS Brighton, a school located on the coast which has an abundance of seagulls. Even though there are many birds in the sky, it's supposedly more rare to be pooed on by one of them than winning the lottery. That's why if you are one of the lucky ones who get pooed on, it comes as a surprise and is deemed very lucky. It's also good belief to make uh, good of a bad situation. So very big fans of that. And I do remember my poor grandfather, Frank, uh, when he was in uh, my grandmother's clothes store. He nipped outside, right by the seaside, a lot of seagulls. And I think he had three birds cover him. I mean, you could have pulled down uh, a whole wheelbarrow load of poo and it, 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 it looks like he took a shower in it i mean there's people who who go into uh, mud baths or uh, mud beauty treatments who come out less messy than he did i mean his whole shirt trousers were covered covered in bird shit and um he had to i think he had to go home and get changed and have a shower because it was dripping down his face down his shirt uh, down his trousers Oh dear, my poor granddad. So number two superstition. We're breaking a mirror. 
Uh, another one with ancient history. Some people believe that breaking a mirror is meant to give you seven years of bad luck. This harks back to Roman times when they believed that mirrors were a portal to the soul and breaking one would damage the soul, which couldn't be amended until life renewed itself, which was believed to be every seven years. And then we have seeing magpies. Uh, you may have heard the rhyme, one for sorrow, two for joy. When somebody sees a magpie, those black and white birds can signify good or bad luck, depending on how you see them. Magpies have also been associated with death. So seeing a lone magpie is said to bring sorrow to your life. Seeing two, however, is good luck. Although the rhyme does not continue up to 10, it's most commonly used when seeing two. Well, I saw two magpies earlier in the year. We, took, we did have a little magpie special on the podcast too. But, you know, seeing magpies and then getting uh, uh, pooped on by a bird, that's certainly not being free as a bird. So we have more of our superstitions here. Putting new shoes on a table. These are British superstitions. While some of these superstitions may be common around the world, the stigma behind putting new shoes on the table seems distinctly British. Believed to originate from the north of England, this superstition is related to the coal mining industry. When a coal miner died, their family would place their shoes on the table as a tribute. Therefore, placing shoes on the table would seem to be tempting fate. And then we have opening a brolly, an umbrella inside. You may have noticed it rains a lot in the UK and Ireland, so carrying an umbrella with you at all times becomes a necessity. However, make sure never to open your umbrella inside as it's said to be bad luck uh, and bad luck will rain down on you. This superstition has lots of history to it, dating back to ancient Egypt when peacock feathers and papyrus were used to protect people. How can you use papyrus? I mean, that that would give you a soaking wet head, I'm sure. Opening them indoors would see them as an insult to the sun deity Ra, and mean you'll be cursed. Later in the Victorian era, umbrellas were considered with steel spokes and that opening one indoors could cause injury or eye loss. Nowadays, we think that opening an umbrella inside is, is unlucky. And also, if you have a short ceiling as well, you can, uh, you can give the ceiling the whole umbrella treatment. Being a thread of the number 13, the lucky number 13 is seen as unlucky number by many. It seems the superstition originated in Christian beliefs from the Bible. At the Last Supper, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, is thought to be the 13th guest to sit down. Similarly, Jesus' crucifixion on Good Friday, hence the origin of Friday the 13th. Walking under a ladder. Another ancient superstition is the fear and avoidance of walking under ladders. In medieval times, people believed a ladder leaning against a wall resembled the gallows. Therefore, they, uh, they were used to hang people to death. Therefore, somebody walking underneath the ladder is believed they too would die at the gallows. Coming across a black cat. The folklore of superstitions surrounding black cats varies from country to country. Black cats are generally believed to be the bad luck uh, because of their association with demons and witches and they're often believed to be symbols of evil or omens. And then finally, finding a four-leaf clover. Thought to bring good luck in a number of English-speaking countries, the four-leaf clover is a symbol of good luck and therefore good fortune around the world. A simple explanation for those lucky of reputation is that they're extremely hard to find. It's thought that there are 10,000 three-leaf clovers for every four-leafed one. Still, my favorite is seeing my poor grandfather uh, covered in uh, bird excrement, bird poop. Um, I mean, knowing his luck that day, the bird would have stolen his uh, fish and chips too. Is rather amazing the things you find 
uh, when clearing out 20 years of, uh, of, of crap, of rubbish. Um, now, this is basically what I'm doing. So from moving Chicago um, to New Mexico to, uh, to Denver, I've, I've gathered a lot of stuff over the years. And, uh, I mean, it's pretty amazing the things you find. I mean, old letter. I talked about the, my grandmother's very letter the other day uh, that was a marvellous find. But the amount of odd socks you find. Now, you know, we're clearing out the other day and came across an old PlayStation. But along with the PlayStation was a sock. Now, why would you need a sock with a PlayStation? I mean, you might need a sock if you had, you know, maybe certain types of... Uh, rather naughty videos or anything along those lines maybe a sock might come in handy but uh, alas not for a playstation so uh, odd socks books with odd socks um nearly everything every box had a nondescript sock within the box and that makes you just wonder because there is the mystery of where do socks go either in the wash or the dryer and we lose socks and they just disappear into the ether. Now, could these socks mysteriously be appearing in sealed boxes? I mean, when you talk about the paranormal, I think you have to consider the loose, lost sock as being partly, you know, an apparition of a tire, basically. But also, you know, you I did see random rubber gloves. Marigolds, as we call them in the UK. We do the washing up, you put your marigolds on. And there was uh, several misplaced yellow marigold gloves scattered throughout these boxes. Now, the only person who knows wears marigold gloves is my grandmother and my mother. Now, they don't go out, you know, they don't go out uh, in public. You know, if it's a rainy day, they don't slip on the marigolds or anything like that. They use it for washing up. But I don't think I've ever seen anybody else use marigolds. Uh, since maybe 1975 uh, but mother does have a pair but there was again too many of these marigolds being scattered across these boxes again a mystery of the universe why are the heavens why are the gods out there inflicting me with random rubber gloves a very odd situation uh, without a doubt but that's the joy of going through boxes you know, it's, it's an absolute uh, delight when it comes to going through boxes and finding things that you can't remember. I mean, I found a set of controls, remote controls from TVs going back 20 years. And they were within the box that you would use for the laundry. And I've been looking for these controls, like for the Apple TV for many years. And they were cast in a box of the laundry. So again, it's a very random situation, uh, finding long-lost remotes. And this is probably why I'm having a situation at the moment. I can't turn off the bloody subtitles. I mean, I'm having a situation where I cannot get rid of the subtitles off my TV. I watch a lot of foreign movies, and I cannot find a way of getting rid of the subtitles. Love no money. Going to settings on each of the platforms. You know, whether it's the DirecTV, the Apple TV, I cannot find a way of turning off these bloody subtitles. And the thing is, the most constant used phrase when you're reading subtitles is constant, indistinct 
chatter. So today we have an eccentric British Prime Minister, Arthur Wellesley, Duke of Wellington, carried a dagger-tipped umbrella. Arthur Wellesley, Duke of Wellington, is a rare example of somebody whose biography doesn't usually begin with the fact that he is Prime Minister. Uh, it takes until the fifth paragraph on Wikipedia, I mean our go-to on all information out there, before he's mentioned he was Prime Minister. Twice over, his political career inevitably takes place during his triumph over Napoleon at Waterloo, possibly because he was the most brilliant military tactician. He was not a popular Prime Minister, losing a vote of confidence in 1830 uh, during the time of the Swing Riots. However, he should be given credit for a stylish response to a political challenge when his political opponent, the Earl of Wilchesia, described Wellington's support for Catholic emancipation as an insidious design for infringement of our liberties and the introduction of popery into every department of state, Wellington challenged him to a duel. When they met to duel, Wellington fired his pistol far wide of uh, Winchelsea. Winchelsea did nothing on the command to fire, then fired straight upwards into the air. Wellington claimed he missed deliberately, but this has been a subject to debate, as he's known to be a very poor shot. Uh, Winchelsea, uh, with commendable bravery, for very little faith in Wellington's ability to aim, appeared to have decided ahead of time not to try to shoot Wellington and gave him a pre-prepared letter and an apology for his remarks. It's clear that Wellington lived in violent times, which helps explain his eccentric decision to carry a dagger concealed in his umbrella. Uh, Spencer Percival, a previous Prime Minister, had been assassinated in 1812, just 16 years before Wellington took the job. Whether Wellington ever had cause to use the umbrella in anger isn't known. It sounds like a bomb gadget. Ah, oh, Duke of Wellington, we've been expecting you. I mean, it's that sort of situation where you have a poison tip umbrella as your scabbard. Oh, yeah, I'm going to invite you to trample trombone. So a Northumberland garden has been dubbed the world's deadliest as it's filled with poisonous plants that can kill you. The poison garden only constitutes a small portion of the Anwick Garden in Northumberland. However, the garden lives up to its name. Nobody can visit without a guide. To prevent any unfortunate incidents occurring to wandering humans and pets, the garden is barred with a huge iron gate with signs under a skull and crossbones saying these plants can kill. Visitors to the garden can only enter with an escorted guide and are prohibited from smelling, touching or tasting any plants. There have been cases where unlucky tourists have fainted after inhaling the fumes whilst walking around. I mean, that sounds like a similar situation to being in a... A rugby club shower room or something along those lines. The garden is home to around a hundred toxic, intoxicating and narcotic plants. These include the pretty blue flowers, monscood, that not only creates deadly berries but also leaves deadly leaves and stems. Many of the plants, such as laurel, produce cyanide, or giant hogweed is uh, phototoxic, meaning it will burn your skin and give you blisters up for seven years. So, that's a good reason not to venture forth into the garden or do any gardening at all. Having green fingers can poison you, but having a gold finger is much more deadly. And in a breakthrough discovery, researchers have dis undiscovered a never-before-seen fossilized brain from a 300-million-year-old horseshoe crab. That's some very old crabs. The one-in-a-million discovery is said to reveal some surprises about the evolution of these strange creatures, 
according to a new study. The fossilized brain was discovered at Mazin Creek in Illinois, where the conditions were reportedly perfect to preserve the ancient animal's delicate soft tissue. Despite horseshoe crabs becoming fairly common, researchers previously knew nothing about their brains. This is the first and only evidence for a brain in a fossil horseshoe crab, uh, led the author Russell Bicknell, a paleontologist at the University of New England in Maine. I mean, during the 2020 US election, the two most prominent brains, the two presidential candidates, uh, they were also 310 million years old between them, uh, but uh, definitely not in perfect condition. And expert mathematicians have come up with a new way to cut slices of pizza evenly using some fun geometric shapes. Every sibling has faced the argument having been accused of cutting the pizza unevenly and grabbing the bigger slice of pizza. Furthermore, slicing gets particularly tricky when dealing with more than eight, as the slices start looking measly and unappetizingly thin. Luckily, two clever mathematicians have sought to solve these problems by using geometric shapes to cut perfectly even slices. Mathematicians Joel Hadley and Stephen Worsley from the University of Liverpool have come up with this magical method uh, in the maths world called monohedral disc tilling. When using the method, you get up to 12 perfect slices that are identical. Now all you need is some garlic dip. So all you need to do is cut your pizza into six curved, three-side shapes across the pizza. If you do it right, it'll basically look like a star coming out of the center. Then you divide those shapes into two. So you've got an inside group of a crust and an outside group of a crust. But the mass doesn't end there. The team took it a step further and cut even more slices by creating similar tiling from more curved slices with an odd number of sides. This is known as five gongs, seven gongs, and then so on. You can then divide them into two, like the previous method suggests. I'll pop that up on Instagram so you can uh, look and uh, dissect your pizzas evenly here. But my trick is to order a topping nobody actually likes other than you, and then creep and move the disliked topping across the pizza, making your own slices bigger. And Where's Wally is a popular book series that kept children and adults alike dumbfounded trying to find him. Despite being dressed in red and white, bold stripes, readers struggle to find him in the pages crammed with drawings meant to confuse the mind. One fun fact about Wally is that he's known by different names around the world. Vali or Vili in France or Charlie in India or Hete. So no matter what he's called, Slate has discovered the best way to find the popular character. All you need to do is simply uh, a simple measuring tape to find him efficiently. The true randomness is hard to achieve, even if, even if that's your intention. According to the illustrator and creator of Where's Wally, Martin Hanford, unpredictability is not something that he necessarily aims for. He told uh, the Scholastic, as I work my way through the picture, I add Wally when I come to what I feel is a good place to hide him. By mapping out Hanford's patterns, Slate sought the mathematical reasoning behind finding Wally by taking to the seven primary books with a tape measure in hand. They discovered that 53% of the time, Wally could be found inside one or two 1.5-inch tall sections. Well, that's not very big. Poor old Wally. Uh, one beginning three inches from the bottom of the page and another one starting seven inches from the bottom of the page, stretching across the spread. A good strategy to begin your hunt is to start scanning these aforementioned sections as the first border call. 1.5 inches 
isn't exactly small. <laughs> anyway, section to scope out, to, to break down the page, and is small enough to focus on. Plus, over half the time, you'll find Wally there. Probability of any 1.5 inch bands containing at least 50% of Wally's appearances is remarkably slim, less than 0.3%. In basic terms, the findings don't appear to be a coincidence, and Wally is therefore there for a reason. Or you can play the frosty weather, cold weather game, Where's Willy? So reading in the Times, pick a fussy eater if you want a bland date. So here's a lesson for those hungry for romance. On a first date, you are what you are willing to eat. Researchers have found that fussy eaters who avoid new foods are less likely to be thought sexually attractive. So you should never order a chicken salad on the first date. Food plays such an important role in dating says uh, Hannah Bradshaw of the Jefferson College. Our results show that people make judgments about potential partners' sexual desirability based on whether or not the said partner is willing to try food. So probably no rotten cabbage or a rather stinky curry, perhaps. Bradshaw and her colleagues ran tests to explore the links between a person's gastronomic adventureness and their perceived desirability. Being unwilling to try new foods may make one seem less sexually desirable and more prudish. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. If you're on a date with somebody you're not into, you could order something boring. Researchers carried out four experiments and the first 200 heterosexual occupants were told a short story about a person of the opposite sex who was either eager or reluctant to eat a new food in a restaurant. If the person dug into an unfamiliar dish with gusto, they were rated as more desirable. In the second study, nearly 100 participants were shown two mock profiles for dating websites. The profiles were similar but differed on whether the person described themselves or is willing or reluctant to try new foods. The participants were also asked to rate the person's socio-sexual orientation defined as their willingness and tendency to engage in short-term, uncommitted sexual relationships and their openness to new experiences. Scores both were higher for those willing to try unusual dishes. You know, maybe like a beef tongue or some uh, blood pudding uh, or whale penis or something. A third experiment with 95 participants were designed to examine whether there was something special about expressing an openness to new food or whether being open to different kinds of new experiences had similar effects. It included three profiles, a control profile, one describing the person as willing to try new food but not other things, and another of somebody... Uh, trying to broaden their own horizons, such as unfamiliar film genres, but reluctant to try exotic foods. The person described as willing to try new foods, but not other things, were rated as being less sexually inhibited. The effect was less pronounced for fussy eaters. In the final study, though, 133 volunteers participants were shown more mock dating profiles and asked that what was different about those open to new cuisines. They were not thought to be healthier or stronger than fussy eaters, but they were judged to be more adventurous in bed. Well, I don't think a spicy bean-filled uh, chili is probably the most romantic option, uh, and I don't think it'll add any spice into the bedroom. It's been marvellous having you here for the podcast today. 111th edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Uh, again, you can listen across all platforms, I think every platform uh, has uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, from what I understand anyway. But if you want to try dancing to the podcast, 
then we have a musical edition of the podcast uh, for your delectation. And this week, some of the music that we have uh, on the podcast, yes, Smokey Robinson, uh, we have some Beatles, we have some Foo Fighters, The Beautiful South, Shirley Bassey, Oasis, Ariana Grande, and lovely Yacht Rock as well to finish. So anyway, just to let you know, next week I am moving Chappie Towers, downsizing Chappie Towers. So I do think there'll be just one edition of the podcast. If I can squeeze in two, I will. But just warning you, avid listeners out there, that there may only be one edition. So you're going to have to savor it until two editions a week later. Uh, But coming up next, we finish with a poem. So this is an explanation of cricket by Lord Bain, as explained to a foreigner. You have two sides. One out in the field and one in. Each man that's in the side that is in goes out. And when he's out, he comes in. And the next man goes in until he's out. When they're all out, the side that's out comes in. And the side that's been go, goes out and tries to get those coming in out. Sometimes you get men still in and not out. When a man goes out to go in, the men who are out try to get him out. And when he is out, he goes in. And the next man, he goes out and goes in. There are two men called umpires who stay out all the time and they decide when the men who are in are out. Then both sides have been uh, and all the men have been out and both sides have been out twice. After all, men have been in, including those who are not out. That is the end of the game. Hopefully that explains it to you. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. My producer, Jack, is uh, hidden under the sheets, snorting... uh, on occasion uh, probably my uh, nonsense but i will talk to you again next week on keep calm and cauliflower cheese until then cheerio